Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Mimi Icon, to our show today. Mimi is a serial entrepreneur and also the founder of Luxie Hair, a D2C hair extension brand built from her love of beauty and style. And most recently, she's focused on her business, Intelligent Change, which is a lifestyle brand built for cultivating mindfulness and gratitude through consumer products. Her self-made story is incredibly inspiring, which began when Mimi immigrated from a small town in Azerbaijan to Canada as a teenager. Mimi walked through her life today from her financially supporting her family from a young age when they moved, navigating working in the banking industry, and then risking it all for her passions and financial freedom. Mimi has cultivated the path alongside her husband and business partner, Alex Icon. Her first business, Luxie Hair, reached over 250,000 customers in over 165 countries before being successfully acquired by Beauty Industry Group. Both Mimi and Alex are actively focusing on their current venture, Intelligent Change, which has sold over 1.7 million copies of their flagship product that I love so much called The 5-Minute Journal. Today, we walk through Mimi's journey and how she went from a college dropout to then ultimately finding her passions and creating her first business, Luxie Hair, with very little money and no connections. And what I appreciate so much about Mimi is just how real and open she has been about her journey. You know, now looking at her, following her on Instagram, following her journeys, she's very successful, has multiple businesses, but it's not how she started. She dropped out of college. She didn't know what her passion was. She didn't know what job she wanted to be in. And she really walks through her own journey of how she really got in touch with her intuition and really what allowed her to be successful in her first business. She also talks about how she overcame depression, which actually came about when her business was doing really well. And she also talks about, you know, tips that we can all do today to create and manifest the life we want and how she's done that for herself and how we can all create meaningful change in our personal and professional lives and so much more. Welcome to the show, Mimi. Thank you so much for having me, Yasmin. I'm super excited to be here and also honored that you invited me to be on your show. Oh my gosh, it's my honor. You know, I've always been so inspired by you. And now that I've really digged into your story, I'm like, Mimi, you are incredible. Like so many points in your life. I honestly would get teary eyed because of really everything you've gone through and how openly you talk about your experiences at so many different of your life stages from childhood to now being a mother. I mean, I'm just so in awe of your vulnerability and openness. So I'm very excited about this one. I know there's a lot for us to talk about, so I'm going to jump right in. But I actually want to start with the beginning since your childhood has made such an impact of just who you are even to this day. You know, you grew up with very humble beginnings. Your family didn't have a lot of money. And looking back, you've said to yourself, you actually wouldn't trade any of that hardship for anything. So can you talk a little bit more about your life growing up and why you feel this way? Absolutely. I think life is all about contrast and Growing up in Baku, Azerbaijan, in a tiny little flat apartment. Um, I'm used to saying flat now that I live in 
for the last 10 years. Uh, so yeah, growing up in a small little apartment with my parents and, you know, they would give their bedroom to my sister and I, so we would have a proper bedroom and like they slept in the, slept in the living room on the sofas. They had two different sofas and, you know, to see that parents sacrifice for you. So you have a better experience as a, as a human was very special. You know, as a child, you don't appreciate that. But now I'm like, oh, it was so sweet of them to give their bedroom to us. But I felt like I had everything I needed when I was little because what I had was my parents' love. And actually, we had a lot of freedom growing up in Baku because back then, kids were allowed to be out there on the streets playing. And it was so incredible to that, have that level of freedom. I didn't appreciate it again then because everybody had that level of freedom, whereas now kids who live in big cities are not allowed to be out. And I felt like that gave us a lot of courage from an early age and also independence. Yeah, just learning to survive on the streets, it gives you life skills. And I truly, I'm so appreciative of that. And I remember since I was very little, I, I just knew that I'm not going to stay in Baku, Azerbaijan for some reason. I just felt this natural pull towards traveling the world and seeing other parts of, of this beautiful planet Earth and exploring and having adventures. Freedom is one of my top values. I just knew it from a very early age. I would spend hours just daydreaming or now it's called visualization but I literally would spend hours and hours imagining myself living somewhere else and surely enough you know by the age of 16 it took a while um it my my parents decided to immigrate to Canada so that was you know our path out of Azerbaijan because back then until I was 16 I never even got on a plane you couldn't buy a ticket and travel anywhere you wanted you would it would be very difficult to get a visa. And maybe the only two places you could travel would be like Russia or Turkey. Now it's changed. It's much easier to travel. But again, when I was born and raised, there was Azerbaijan was still part of USSR. And it was like the, the Iron Curtain. You know, you couldn't really get out unless you were maybe an entrepreneur or politician, diplomat, like higher level. So it was an interesting place to definitely grow up because also, you know, growing up there, you, you were exposed, like I was exposed to different religions as well. So you also grow up with like this diversity and again, contrast, which I, I feel like gave me so much depth as a human to observe my surroundings, but also choose for myself ultimately what resonates more with my soul and my journey. No, I love that the freedom component came when you were much younger, because we'll get into your story. And that's definitely like one of your top values. So I love that it came from an early age. And what I found so interesting is that you mentioned in another interview that, you know, back in the day, at least maybe when you started talking about this, you said your dad would get mad and be like, Mimi, we weren't poor growing up. I mean, relatively speaking, I know in Azerbaijan, you guys were like middle class. Um, but like relative to right, like US or Canada, it would have been, and I hate to say the word like lower class per se. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. I, I didn't think I was growing up poor, certainly. Although um, I think from the age of eight to 12, my dad was didn't have a job. So he was unemployed for maybe three, four years. And our grandfather was supporting our family. So again, I was hyper aware of that and my mom was just a piano teacher so she wasn't really making much so again money was always tight but I, I didn't feel poor definitely we always had food on the table 
And most importantly, again, growing up in that culture, you always have your door open. So people would always knock and we, our table was always full of guests. Like my parents would always have somebody coming in and going and coming and going. And back then, again, nobody called or texted like, hey, can I? People just came and knocked on your door. So I think that was also a very beautiful part of my upbringing because now as an adult, I also love hosting people and I just love my house being full of humans, which, you know, I think comes from that upbringing and being open. That. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm always so curious. You know, you joke that since you were younger, you were visualizing. I love that because you obviously that word didn't exist back then. But were there some early influences that really showed you that there was a bigger life outside Baku, Azerbaijan? Because I'm sure there was not as many opportunities that were visible to you. But I'm curious what might have influenced you at a young age to know the world was so much bigger. It's such a good question that you ask. I think our soul knows. I think. We- we, if we dig deeper and we're connected with our intuition, with our inner compass, we always know the path we need to be on. I think most people get disconnected because they get influenced by the culture, education, or their parents, or the whatever environment they're surrounded in. I think because of the freedom we had, because our parents were just busy trying to survive, right? We had the freedom to play and be free and and we didn't have screens. I mean, we had television, but like we didn't have these phones, you know, that were always given to us. Um, I think it was such a blessing to just like be there present with your thoughts and your intuition so you can connect to your soul. And I just had this inner knowing that I'm like, I'm not going to be here. Like I'm going to live here, but I'm going to be somewhere else. Like I I knew it, like I knew it hundred million percent. And, you know, you could say, oh, maybe it was the Hollywood movies, but then all my friends watched the Hollywood movies as well. I mean, we all grew up watching the same things. And I remember telling my classmates that I'm not going to stay here. Like I'm going to leave. I'm going to live in America. You know, you called everything America, right? But basically that was the West, right? Like, and they would laugh, of course, and make fun of me. But then years later, when I already moved away and I came back for like a school reunion, all my friends were so shocked that they still remembered that I didn't remember that I used to say this to them because I used to say it to everybody, but they remembered. And now they're like, your dream came true. Like you've manifested it again. They didn't use those words, but it's like, it happened. Like you knew somehow you just knew. And I think we all know. Again, we can ignore it, we can neglect it, we can deny it and pretend that we don't. But the truth is always inside. And if we connect, we know. I think, yeah, it was just that inner knowing and maybe remembering that this is the path. I love that so much. That's so powerful. You know, I kind of went down the path of corporate. I definitely forgot about what brings me joy and happiness. And what really helped me when I was trying to figure out the next step into everything I'm doing now, I was like, what brought me joy as a child and just lit me up? And just hearing your experience of how you're essentially living this older version of what you wanted just solidifies like how powerful that exercise can be. Like if you're confused right now listening, like, and you're, you don't even know what brings you joy because you're kind of stuck in the day to day, like take a step back and think when you were younger, like what got you excited? What got you in flow? So it's so beautiful to hear that was in your soul. Cause I think also a different tangent, we kind of look at the outside to bring us joy. But if we take that time to really think within us, there's so many answers that come that way. And I know so much of your life has unfolded from just that practice, which we'll definitely talk about. But I want to kind of go back to, 
you know, you mentioned you're this dreamer. You moved to Canada when you were 16, which is not young, right? You're a teenager. You're fully aware of everything. And you talk about how that was just like a dream come true, right? So you land in Canada. And I know I'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit, but you got settled with your family and you really took a big part in financially supporting your family at the time. You've always been working. And I'm just curious, you know, being 16, leaving your country, really working hard to support your family. How has that shaped your relationship with money? Oh, it's such a great question. Being an immigrant immigrant, and seeing your parents literally start from zero. For example, my dad, when he lived in, um, when we lived in Baku, Azerbaijan, he was working for BP and had eventually got a really nice job and was making really great money, which helped us obviously immigrate to Canada. But moving to Canada, he had to start from nothing. He had to work as a security um, you know, person for a building, like a condominium. So I knew straight away, if I want something, I cannot ask my mom who had to work as a cleaner at the time or my dad. So I, I realized that if I want anything, I need to go and make the money myself. And I think it's a blessing to be in that situation. Of course, in the moment I was complaining for, for that little short period, before I realized I need to take charge and feel empowered, there's that small gap, right? You can choose to be a victim or you can choose to take charge of your situation and do something about it. And I just remember feeling so miserable for myself and then thinking, actually, this is not going to solve my problem. I can just sulk in my misery or I can do something about it. And actually, I am old enough. I can go get a job. And you know, I started working as a nanny first, then I, I got a job at a fast food restaurant, then I, I really enjoyed hospitality. So I just went from one restaurant to another. I worked at two different jobs, like eventually got a job at a bank um, and worked at a restaurant and went to college all simultaneously and literally had no time off. I was working every single day. I maybe had a few hours off on a Sunday and that was such a nice treat. But I remember thinking, I was like, like a hamster in a wheel, you know, like it just, my heart rate was so fast because I was like always running somewhere. And I thought to myself, will this ever end or is this my life, you know? But again, I didn't have much time to think. There were like small moments where you kind of like have this existentialism as like, is this all to life? I'm just going to be like in this hamster wheel. But I knew I had to do it. And I had to do it for quite a few years to be able to support my parents, to be able to eventually buy a house and not just rent an apartment. And, um, and then eventually my, my dad was able to get a decent job. He went back to school. My mom was able to also start her practice as a piano teacher again. It, all of that takes time when you're an immigrant. Anytime you start a new chapter, you can't expect to be where you want straight away. It's going to take time. You have to be realistic and lower your expectations. I actually made a video about this uh, a few days ago on my Instagram. It's like um, reality minus expectations equals happiness, right? Like in life, if our expectation is that, you know, you're going to immigrate to this new place and everything's going to be perfect, you're going to have friends, you're going to have a job, you know, your life is going to be great. You're setting yourself for failure because most likely, I mean, there's a small chance it will, but in reality, it takes time to set your roots and and feel comfortable in any situation, even if you're moving to school or college and it's a whole new environment in a new city or town or state. It's going to take time. And I think 
being patient is, is it teaches you patience and grace, you know? So yeah, those were very tough years of my life because then by early twenties, I was burnt out. Like I literally knew what a burnt being burnt out is, but at such an early age, but also it taught me independence and valuing money, understanding that everything has its price. And also realizing that there's many ways to make money. It doesn't have to be this way. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening. And now let's get back to today's episode. You know, I'm curious because there's so many people that are in that hamster wheel of working, rushing. You don't have that time to really think, which you mentioned at that time, you didn't even have a second. But one thing that I thought was really profound is you realize that college wasn't for you. It's clearly not because you're smart. You're clearly a hustler, a hard worker that loves to get things done. So I'm curious, you know, especially coming from an immigrant family, I know personally, like how much education is important. My dad still tells me to go get my MBA. I'm like, dad, the, t- the ship has sailed, like leave me alone. So I'm just it's curious. It's never really sailed, but yes, sure. Yeah, I, true, true. I mean, I have no interest. I'm like, I'm already doing my thing. But the mentality of immigrant families are always like wanting a better life for their kids. So to go get an education. So I'm just curious, how did your family respond when you realized this isn't the right fit for me? And how were you thinking about your plan B at the time? To be honest, I am pro-education. I'm definitely not against. I think it's important to start with that because sometimes when I share my story, people think I am promoting people to drop out of college or university. In reality, I had no choice in that moment. I mean, you always have a choice, but I just made that choice because it made more sense. Because at the time when I was in my second year in college doing international business degree, again, I had the intuition that what I want is be international and do business. And I I loved my program. It was fun. I was making friends, but I also had two jobs, right? So, and a car I had to pay for and half of the mortgage in the house where I was living with my parents at the time. And I remember in my second year, I had to take accounting and I, I went to first class, second class, third class. And then I sat there and I realized I'm just not going to pass this course unless I take extra, you know, extra classes or like get a tutor. And I had no time in my schedule because I had two other jobs, right? Like I was working at a restaurant at a bank and part-time college. I mean, I was full-time in college. And I just remember thinking there, sitting there and thinking like, what like what is the choice I'm going to make here and I realized the reason I'm taking this program is because one day I want to have a business so when I have a business I'll just hire an accountant 
So it was because of accounting that I, 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 I made a choice to drop out. But if I had the luxury of my parents paying for my school, because I was paying for my college, I would have never dropped out. If I didn't have to work two jobs, I would have, if I had, had to just work one job, I would have not dropped out. I would have had the tutor to help me so I can pass. But I realistically knew that this is beyond my capacity to do this on my own because I'm really good at school like I'm not good but like I can kind of wing it I'm like I do assignments last minute or you know like the type of person that studies like literally the night before oh my god I've I've always been jealous of people like you (laughs) I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like that to be honest from what I gather but with accounting I just I I was realistic with myself I was like this is not going to be one of those and it was a requirement so like I couldn't have got in my degree without it. So best decision ever because it worked out for me. But again, I then I went back to school and I got certified as an image consultant. So again, if you are passionate about something and you want to get better at it, of course, go to school, educate yourself. How did my parents react? I was very logical because my dad was like, you're going to university. I said, okay, who is going to pay for it? Because he couldn't afford it at the time. And he was like, why don't you take a loan? And I said, I don't want to take a loan because I don't want to be in debt to the government because the rate is going to be so high. I would rather go to college because college was a bit, you know, less, less expensive. So I took a year off after high school. But then when I went, I was paying myself, you know, because I was working so I could afford to pay. But then again, um, you know, he kind of accepted that fact when I had to drop out because he wasn't the one paying for the school and helped me. So he understood But I think it's important to have these transparent conversations with your parents and challenge them on their thinking. Also, because he had two degrees and I said, listen, you have two degrees and you're in this new country. They don't care about your piece of paper. Is that degree getting you a job you want? At the time, it didn't. And, you know, so I said, I don't know where I'm going to end up in my life and if this piece of paper is going to be helpful, which in reality, nobody would care about my degree here in London. Now I've been in London for the last 10 years. So it's, you have to, you have to challenge your thinking and challenge the, the standard thinking in the world sometimes and ask yourself questions and again, align whether it makes sense for you, whatever decision it is that you're making. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this. I know my husband and I, Drew, who obviously is a friend of yours as well. And you know, he dropped out of college. I went I to college. I didn't know he dropped out too. Yeah, he dropped out. Yeah. And it's just so interesting because my experience, I, I do think, you know, I think from a social perspective, I loved meeting my friends. I thought it gave me independence. Of course, I wasn't working many jobs like you. I didn't even have a job. So I'm super spoiled and, you know, luxury to be in that position. But he had a unique experience where he genuinely just felt depressed. And he was like, I don't know how this is going to benefit me in my life. And I think just going to what you feel inside and what feels right, obviously, we're both entrepreneurs. We came in different paths, but, you know, going back to like, what is logical for you in that right step and questioning anything. And especially, you know, a lot of women listening to this podcast want to be entrepreneurs, want to start that business. I think if you can be, I love that, like you and Drew are questioning so early in your life. That is like the biggest superpower to have as an entrepreneur, because any success comes from going against the grain and doing what people don't do. And it's just beautiful to see you guys had that foresight a little bit early on. But I guess to your point, there's, there's nothing wrong with education, just depends on your situation and what step, you know, you want to take. So you ended up, you know, not going to college and you mentioned you're working at a bank. 
And you actually met, you know, your now future husband and co-founder, Alec. And you guys, you know, this is before you even started companies together and got engaged, but you both abruptly left the bank, which I know was a huge turning point. There's a lot to unpack there, but can you kind of talk about that phase in both of your guys' life? Absolutely. So Alex wanted to be a banker. He wanted to be an investment banker. He had this big dream. I didn't want to work at a bank. I ended up there as a co-op student because I wanted to escape high school. And then they hired me and I really liked my, my team. So I stayed, but I actually didn't want to do anything with banking. But I did love people because for me, I'm an extrovert. I love serving people. I love being around people and helping people. So it satisfied that that desire of mine. So I stayed for quite a few years and serendipitously, you know, that's where I met Alex maybe three, four years after I was already working there. And then eventually what happened to Alex is that he had a side hustle. Um, he was selling cars. He was buying cars in the U.S. and transporting them to Russia. And he was using his work email. Oh and, you know, in corporate, they track everything. If you work in corporate, they're tracking your emails. And 100%. <laughs> and one day corporate security showed up and they had like a big stack of papers, which were like his emails and everything. Because he wasn't doing anything illegal, but he was using his work time because he was over exceeding his you know all his uh, targets and he had the extra time so of course instead of asking him how can we utilize your talents they just let him go and they said what you're doing is not right and pack your stuff in this little box and off you go and the moment he left i quit because i didn't want to be there anyways i i was already on my way out mentally i remember always like being there and staying there more out of comfort and because of course money was good. I had good friends, but I remember after every meeting, I would go to the bathroom and look in the mirror and be like, is this what I'm meant to do in life? Like sell credit cards to people. This just doesn't feel right at all. And like, literally I had so many existential like panic attacks in a way while working at the bank, although I had great moments as well. So this was closer to the end of my time there. So I just knew that it was time to leave as well. And then when Alex and I left the bank, um, what happened is we came across this really incredible book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris. And I'm so grateful he wrote that book because it inspired, of course, a generation of uh, lifestyle entrepreneurs like Alex and I. And as you already know, freedom has always been my top value. And the book really resonated with the fact that you can have a business and you can have freedom and you can do it from anywhere in the world. And I believe Alex and I, when we first met, we really connected A, on our values as human beings, but also B, on the fact that we had this vision where we wanted to have something of our own that allows a, allowed us would allow us the freedom to travel the world and be anywhere we want. For us, it wasn't about making millions of dollars, but it, it was about having that freedom, the luxury of, again, choosing where you want to be any, any time of your day, right? Like having that flexibility. Because I remember even when I was working at a bank and people would come in and like at 2 p.m., I would think, how come they're not at work? Like, what are they doing? Because like, you feel like a prisoner in a way, right? Like you are stuck there. You're clocking in, you're clocking out. And then people come in at 11, at 12, at 1. And what do they do? How can they have a flexibility to even go to a bank at this time when I have to work? 
So again, having that awareness that life doesn't have to be black and white. You can choose your own path and you can do what makes you happy. That gives you the flexibility that you want. And then, um, yeah, eventually what happened is Alex proposed to me while we were kind of soul searching and broke. And I remember thinking, he's crazy. Like, we have no money. How are we going to do it? But I said, yes. And then as we were reading the 4-Hour Workweek, we were looking for that muse of like, what is it going to be this business that we're going to start? So just thinking about it in the back of our heads. And then I bought clip and hair extensions to wear at our wedding. And I remember coming home and putting it in my hair and it just looked so fake. It didn't look good at all. And I was complaining to my sister who happened to be in the room and Alex was in the room kind of like thinking about the next business idea. And then he heard this term clip and hair extensions and he said, what is that? I've never heard of it. And there was a laptop in the room. So I went on YouTube and showed him quickly the videos of girls before and after without extensions and then with the extensions. And it's such a transformational product that he was just amazed. He's like, this is so incredible. Why don't we do it? And we just looked at him like he's crazy. Like, what do we know about hair extensions? Because all of us were desperate in the room. I wasn't working. My sister just quit her job. Alex was obviously fired from the bank. We looked at each other and we said, okay, let's give it a try. We don't know anything, but we can learn things. And that's how Luxie Hair was born, literally from the idea to the actual launch of the business was maybe two, three months. Like, I think we thought of it in February and then we launched like end of April, May. And that's when we got married because I needed the extensions for the wedding. So like it was crunch time. We need to, it was kind of like the summit that we pulled off, right? We, I think we work really good under pressure. So um, the funniest thing though, when we're looking for supplier to work with, you know, when you're creating any product, you need to first be happy with your product. And I remember we reached out to 10 different suppliers for these hair extensions because we wanted to make them thick. And obviously natural, we were only working with real hair and beautiful. And so they look really good because the one, the pair that I bought looked really thin and it just didn't blend with the hair. And that was the issue, the problem that we saw. Either you go, to, you would go to a salon and spend thousands of dollars and then you would get really nice natural looking hair extensions or whatever you would get in an like this beauty store would be still quite expensive that you still like spend maybe $200, but it wouldn't look real. It wouldn't be thick enough for most girls who have medium to thick hair. And we created the solution, which was an affordable set of hair extensions that is thick. So basically we cut the middleman because we didn't go into retail. We just sold online. And yeah, out of the 10 suppliers we reached out to, the first one um, sent us the set, the hair extension set. I put in my hair and I just remember thinking I look like a mermaid. It, I just had butterflies in my stomach. It was the best feeling ever. But then I thought to myself, I'm not going to get excited because we have nine more samples coming in. All the other ones were horrible. So again, there's the serendipity in life, like doing the right thing at the right time. But also there's a little bit of magic that exists that sometimes you're helped by universe because it's meant to be. So um, yeah, that. So we ended up launching and working with that supplier for the first, I think, five years of our business. Eventually, we, we changed a lot of things and, you know, we, we tried to be as sustainable and traceable and all these things. Because obviously, as we evolved as humans, we evolved every area of the business to be more sustainable and traceable and um, in any way clear because it's a very gray business. It's very hard to, to track hair in general. It was interesting. So then we, we ended up selling that eight. We had it for eight years and then we sold it probably four or five years ago now. And 
yeah, that was the journey of Luxie Hair. The business grew like crazy in the first year. We made our first million, and it was for us it was like flying to to the moon. Because we just we just wanted to make like a few grants so we can you know travel to Bali and have the freedom and work a few hours a week. We did manage to actually have the four hour work week. We really didn't work a lot, and we traveled to our some of our first trips were south of France, Costa Rica. Uh, California, we would travel and work. We called it workation, you know, and it was amazing, but also it actually didn't work for me. I was very much depressed almost straight away because I realized that money doesn't make me happy. And um, it was a very tough realization to have, obviously, because when you don't come from money, you're always conditioned by, I don't know, magazines, media, movies that when you have money, life will be perfect and everything will be perfect. And in reality, <laughs> That's not the case. You know, money is wonderful. It can, of course, buy you certain luxuries in life, but it definitely is not what makes people happy. And you can look at the wealthiest people in life to see the evidence of that. And it was a very hard lesson, but also it, those first two years of the business when the business was growing and we could literally afford anything. I just remember kind of like reassessing my whole set of values and and also asking myself, what is the point of life? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Which were such important questions to ask. Of course, in the moment, I was very lost and it was very dark and I was so depressed and anxious. At one point, I was so depressed, I couldn't even uh, fly anymore. I couldn't go in the lift. I, I was even very anxious to go into like a high-rise building or anywhere where there were a lot of people. And remember, I'm an extrovert, so I love all these things. But it really hindered my life to the point where I would say I really saved myself by eventually going to, I mean, I tried different things, Reiki, talking to therapists, but nothing really worked. And in the end, going to Vipassana meditation, really, I would say um, it's like a silent meditation retreat where you go and like sit with yourself for 10 days. Really, I would say save my life because it, it helped me to unpack a lot of trauma that I guess was causing this awakening in a way, you know. It's, it's a journey. I mean, being a human is so complex and I think everything happens for a reason. The dark moments give you the contrast. When you have the lighter moments, you appreciate them so much more. But of course, it's very difficult when you're going through them. But for to anyone listening who is going through a darker patch, just know that this too shall pass. That's one of my favorite sayings. And of course, it's difficult. Trust me, I know we've all been through hard moments, heartbreak, I don't know, depression or being unemployed i think as long as you know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel you'll get there and that's the most important thing to focus on yeah i mean it's so it's so interesting because to really understand that yes money is important but it doesn't bring happiness so early in your life is profound i mean i ended up going down that investment banking route and i you know at age 25 i kept getting promoted making more money i was like but this isn't, it's actually not changing anything. And we're born to be raised to be like money equals happiness. And when you first get that realization, which is the biggest gift we could get at such a young you know, age in our twenties, it really puts things in perspective. And I also remember questioning like, what's the point of this? I killed myself to get this job. I'm living in New York. What, like I did it, but I'm so unhappy. Like what is life? And I could imagine what kind of questions came from you, especially that level of success so quickly. I mean, to hit a million in the first year, that is, that's very, very rare. Like 
that's a big deal. So I'm actually, there's a lot I actually want to unpack here. And one of them is, you know, so you were saying how important Vipassana was for you. And also, I know you talked about in another interview, this book called Body Keeps Score. Can you kind of share more about that? Because you mentioned it kind of that period in your life really brought up different trauma that you have experienced in the past. So I'm just kind of curious the impact of that book and how it really helped you unpack what you were feeling and going through. Absolutely. I think that book was really incremental on my journey because what happened is, is that my life was perfect, essentially, right? I was 24. I just got married. I had a successful business. I was getting famous as well, right? Like that's another element that you would think will bring you joy. There were all these great things I could afford to go anywhere, buy anything. And yet I didn't want any of it. Like I was super depressed, right? So then you ask yourself, why is this happening, right? So then as I was asking myself, why am I experiencing these things? Eventually, I would say maybe two years into the journey, it, this was after Vipassana, I came across this book that I recommend for anyone because we all have some level of trauma. Most of it comes from childhood or early, um, early years. And a lot of it we don't remember because zero to six those memories are stored in the body, but not really. I mean, they are stored in our memory, but not consciously. And what the author of the book does, it like goes through many different stories. And as you listen to them, sometimes certain things will click because they'll be so similar to your own experience. And one of the most profound things that I learned in that book is that your body starts releasing trauma when you feel safe. And that was really profound realization to me because when I got married and I was with a person who I felt very safe with, that is when I started unpacking my trauma. It didn't make sense at the time because I'm like, everything is perfect. Why is this happening? Oh, this is why it's happening. And even now being a, a parent, I, I have this book on Montessori education because like the, I love that philosophy of raising kids with freedom. And one of the first um, chapters says that when a child has a tantrum with you or around you, you should actually feel quite privileged because a child will only have a tantrum around an adult that he feels safe with. And that really helped me, you know, when Alexa was small and she would have a meltdown or a tantrum, I'd be like, there's a reason why she's doing it with me now. And let's say not in the nursery. So something must happen at school or in the nursery where she held on to it. And now that she feels safe, she's releasing. So we have to stay calm and let them release and love them. Right. So um, that was happening to me, although I wasn't a child anymore. Right. So we all have these traumas from childhood that was not real. They were not released. And when you do feel eventually safe, it's a good thing that they're coming out. Now, many people will then attach to that experience and think that something is wrong with them. We get to tell the story of our experience, right? And the story can be anything. That's the most beautiful thing. And at the moment, at that moment, my story at first was, oh, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, anxious, I don't know what's happening. But as I read the book, I switched the story in my mind and I thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing that this is happening. And in fact, he helps you with different methods and techniques on how you can help your body release. Of course, meditation is one of them. Also, massage can be really helpful for people who are storing a lot of tension. Tension is trauma. It's like getting regular massage helps you release a lot of this trauma as well. Of course, you need the right practitioner. It's not like you'll go to any um, 
you know, like a, an average place. You need somebody who goes quite deep, but there's people who can help you do that even through physical massage. Um, but many other practices, you know, where you sit with yourself and it, it just comes through. I recently tried something called nail therapy. I don't know if you've ever tried it. I haven't. It. No, what is that? Yeah, so you stand on these like really sharp nails for anywhere from a few seconds to like 40 minutes. I managed to stand for 38 minutes. Oh, I thought oh it was my gosh, Mimi. <laughs> I know, it was insane, but it was very similar practice where again, you're standing on something so painful, but while you're doing that, you have to like let go and release and ease into it. And as you do that, something happens to your body where your body starts releasing stuff. And in these 40 minutes, like I cried so many times, like stuff just like, released through my body so I felt like that was another practice that can help people release the stored trauma in their body so fascinating I you know this book has come across I've heard it so now after talking to you I'm very motivated to read it because I do feel like like you said you might not have the memories from zero to six and I've seen different therapists and or belief coaches I'm always looking for self-growth in whatever avenue and they always ask me questions about my childhood and I'm like I don't remember like I think I had yeah my parents got divorced but they did a good job co-parenting and I'm digging but I don't really consciously oh, know that happened they got divorced when I was in um third grade so how old are you nine yeah so, but I'm sure I was impacted. I mean, you know, for other many reasons, but I'm very curious to read this book because I definitely feel like I do have tension within my body now that I'm so connected. And I actually did um, energy work. It's kind of a newer thing I'm testing. And, you know, everybody has, there's different mo modalities, but it's always interesting to hear, you know, if you can either believe in it or not. It's more so how you react to what they say. And one common theme they both said was you have ancestral like trauma in your body. So it's like, oh my gosh, it's actually like both of them were like, it's not you. It's, it's your grandparents. It's your, it's your further generations of women specifically, which is just interesting because now I'm doing this podcast about women, my business about women. So it's just wild how that can be stored in your body when you don't know. And uh, yeah, even one of them was like, your mom, did she flee her country when she was 16? She like left Iran before the revolution. And I was like, oh my God, how do you, you see that in my body? Like it was wild. It was pretty. Must be genetical, right? Like yeah. that's passed on with the genes. The genes. Yes, sometimes we have to do, not sometimes, I think all times, the work we do is clearing the ancestral trauma. It's not just us. So it's almost like we go in the past and it's, it's fascinating work, right? Yeah. It's, it's really, by clearing the past, we are clearing the future as well, which is so beautiful for the future generations. Exactly. Oh, I have goosebumps with you saying that. You know, I actually want to circle back to one thing you said very early in your Luxie Hair journey, because there's a lot of women listening who want to start businesses, but don't really have ideas. And you said something that I thought was really powerful around serendipity. And I know so much of seeing opportunities that comes to you is like creating that space. And I know, you know, you and Alex were unemployed for about a year and a half. I believe you were also living with his mom. Is that like during a certain period? Yeah. And in another interview, I believe you said like, you know, you guys were unemployed, you were living with his mom and you were really trying to manifest like what you wanted in life and really feeling it as if it's in the present. So can you kind of walk Walk us through those exercises because fast forwarding today, what you are manifesting truly is what has happened. So I would love to hear about that phase in your life. Absolutely. And and beyond, to be honest, my wild dreams, I, I remember talking to a therapist a few years ago. I don't really do therapy, but I was like, okay, I'll try like a session. 
And when she she made me do this questionnaire on the, in, in that questionnaire, it was like, how would you rate, based on your expectations, how would you rate your life from zero to 10? And I was like, I don't know, 12. <laughs> like, my life is well beyond my wildest, wildest dreams, you know? So now going back to your question, one of the most powerful tools we used early on in our journey, and it was inspired by Tony Robbins. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but... He had this thing called um, Hour of Power, and it was part of this program called Get the Edge, which I still highly recommend. I think it's incredible. It's like an intense 10-day program where you go through different exercises to figure out what you want from life and how you can get there. Anyways, on day one, he walks through this exercise called the, you know, the, the power hour. And one of the first things you do when you wake up is basically you're supposed to go on a walk and... It's called the gratefulness walk. And again, this is, gosh, must must have been like more than 13 years ago, right? So even more, it must have been more, like maybe 15 years ago. So again, gratitude is a big thing now, but back then it wasn't. And, you know, here we are following his advice and going on this gratitude walk. And he would make you say things that you're grateful for first that you do have. So you could maybe start with your body. I'm grateful for my eyesight that I can hear. Um, you know, that I can walk, then maybe your partner or your family, like things that you do have in your life already. And then the last portion of that walk was always saying gratitude for things you would love to have in your life that you don't yet have, but in a present tense. That is truly the key because, again, I I like the word manifestation, so I'm going to use it, but some people have like a negative connotation to it. I think the key to manifesting is as you say things that you want to have in your reality, you have to talk about them as if they're already in your reality. Because if you always say will, want, it's almost like there's a gap between you and what you want to have. There's a lack and you need to be in abundance in order to have to have that in your reality. Does that make sense? So for that reason, I think it was the most powerful exercise that we used to do. And every day we'd, we'd walk and like we'd end with that where, you know, Alex would say something like, oh, Richard Branson is my friend or like I'm on Necker Island. And like we have all these uh, friends who are entrepreneurs and we have a multi-million dollar business. Of course, at that point, we maybe were just thinking about starting Lexi Hair, right? Like there was literally nothing yet. And then I always tell this funny story where my dad would call me and ask me like, hey, how was your morning? What are you doing? And we just got married, right? So, and we're living with his mom. And I'm like, yeah, we're on this gratitude walk, you know, just saying all these things we're grateful for. And then there would be like a long pause. And then my dad would say, you really need to get a job. I don't know what you guys are doing, but like, this is some crazy stuff. But obviously, my dad now can see that gratitude is a very powerful tool. And if used properly and well, when you focus on all the abundance that you already have in your life, you're bound to attract more of it. And it was incredible because obviously things don't happen overnight. But now looking at my life, like 13, 14, 15 years later, literally everything came true and more. I mean, I wouldn't in my wildest dream even think that I would live in London in the most beautiful neighborhood in the most beautiful flat and have be friends with Richard Branson's son. And, you know, like all these things happen like so effortlessly and naturally because we just knew that they like we just believed and we, again, were grateful for them before they even happened. 
So yeah, I mean, it was, it's truly been an, an incredible journey. And I, again, recommend for anyone, if, even if you cannot commit to doing the gratitude walk for an hour every morning, because that is a huge commitment. And also it's not something we did for many years. We would do it maybe for a month and then we would like get to work. So again, manifesting is not just about sitting there and dreaming and fantasizing, although that is an important part of it, but also then like taking actions and steps to get to where you need to be. And ultimately also believing that you can get there without that belief with the faith how are you going to get there so yeah so beautiful and you know it might look effortless now but what I really appreciate about your journey is like you said you believed you put in the work but also time right it's like we're talking about 15 years so people you know sometimes think I think a lot of our society is all very impatient like I want to start a business I wanted to hit this number I want to find the right partner and it's like you gotta like you said like think abundantly believe in yourself and put in the work and give yourself that time and grace because that's when your life will kind of unfold so it's really cool now to look back and see everything that has really come true in your life and even more it's very very inspiring and one thing you mentioned in another interview that I, I just want to bring in case it helps anyone. I also had, and we'll get into what you're doing now, which is so cool because it relates to everything that you care about in this life with gratitude. But you mentioned the importance of, you know, I have a journal. I actually started it when I was in New York, when I was very unhappy questioning life. I'm like, I got to do something because this isn't it. So I would write down, you know, three things I was grateful for. And you mentioned something that I thought was powerful where you said, try to diversify what you're grateful for. Because I have been there. I've been, I still do this gratitude journal. It's been like 15 years now, I think at night. And you're like, instead of, you know, it's obviously a good point to be like, oh, I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my family. But like, if you say the same thing every night, which, you know, we're tired sometimes you kind of just do it, but to just open your mind to different things you're grateful for, it could be the smallest thing. I'm grateful for the sheets on my bed, you know, whatever it could be. It really changes something about your perspective where you start living life and you start noticing different opportunities of gratitude. So I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but I really love the diversity in gratitude that you were saying. Absolutely. Are you using the five minute journal? I hope. Of course. <laughs> now. Yes. And the productivity journal. Oh my gosh. I'm like set up over here. Exactly. Just to give the listeners a bit of the story. So in the end, we ended up selling lucky hair and we, we started this other business um, called Intelligent Change. And our first product was the five minute journal. And again, it was part of it was that practice and knowing that gratitude works, but actually creating a tool that can be simple for an average person to be able to use it in five minutes a day. Because again, most people in the world will not have an hour or even 30 minutes or even 10 minutes to go for a walk and talk about what they're grateful for. So we simplified that process. And also we put other methods from other research on happiness, on how can we create this little tool that people can use in five minutes a day to make themselves happier. And um, it, again, it took off so beautifully and effortlessly. Um, one of the first, I would say, supporters of the Five Minute Journal was actually, funny enough, Tim Ferriss, because when we first launched, he was in Toronto, and at the time we were still living there, and he was there at an event, and we gifted him the journal. And he was going through a very challenging time in his life, and he really loved the journal and he started using it. And then he mentioned it on his podcast 
numerous times and he featured it on in his book tools of titans he featured it so many times in videos and interviews i'm so grateful if by any chance timothy ferris is listening to oh, this if you're listening to him yeah <laughs> forever grateful so like the journey really took off because at that point i had an audience i was talking about it he was talking about it other people and influences were picking it up um, again that we launched about 10 years ago and you know gratitude has been such a huge part of our lives and what we advocate. Now, uh, going back to your question about how do we actually use gratitude? So it's not just mechanical and, you know, you don't wake up every day and say, yeah, well, I am grateful for my house and I'm grateful for my bed. It has to be genuine for it to work. It's not just about doing it, but connecting to that feeling because life is all about feeling and being present with with the emotions that we're experiencing. And ideally you want to evoke positive emotions as you're asking yourself genuinely in the morning, as you wake up, what am I grateful for this morning? And challenging your mind to at least think of one thing that is different. Okay. Maybe you do love something in your life. For me, for example, if I had a good night's sleep, that's going on my, in my journal, because especially as a parent, I mean, she's been sleeping well for years now, but especially in the early years, it, you know, they wake up, sometimes they're teething, sometimes, you know, they have a cold, there's all these wake-ups all the time. So getting six, seven uninterrupted hours of sleep has been such a blessing and it would always go in my journal. And then you look around and you think, what else? What else can I see in my life that's good that I haven't paid attention to? And I always encourage people to do it in that way because otherwise it just becomes this mechanical habit that doesn't really work anymore because you're just writing the same thing over and over again and you're not feeling the practice. I love this. And I also love, it's such an amazing business because both you and Alex, it's true to who you are as people. So it's so beautiful to see how you guys are like really growing the business and bringing so many amazing experiences like the summit that you hosted this year. But it's so interesting because you mentioned when you guys just launched, you know, it was a passion. It was a side thing. I think it was even during Luxie here. And you're like, we're just going to order a thousand books. And if no one buys it, we'll just give it to a friend. But I love that mentality because you guys just try different things. There's no expectations. So I'd love for you maybe to talk a little bit more about that. I think this is a great example of following your desire minus the expectation that it's going to lead you to millions of dollars and a successful business. Of course, we would want it to work out. That was the intention. It's really important to have intentions. It's good to have desires in life. I mean, that's why we're here on planet Earth to you know, experience and have dreams and expand. However, the moment we have expectation that something has to work out the way we want it, we make ourselves miserable if it, our reality doesn't match the expectation. So then we suffer. And again, we create that attachment that we need to, that outcome to be happy. But in reality, isn't it a blessing even to give it a try and say, I've done it? Like, I've done it. I think most people who feel like a failure are people who never try. Like there is no failure, but the failure of even taking a chance. It's like, it would be sad to get to the end of your life and look back and say, well, I love that person. And I never told that person that I love them because I was scared or I wanted to start that business, but I was scared or I have a beautiful voice, but I'm scared to sing and let people sh like show people my talents, right? Like we all have hidden talents and dreams and playing small, 
what a, what a sad path to lead. And yet so many of us are still scared to fully step into our power and courage. And I can say this honestly, I feel like I'm only starting out myself. Yes, I've done many great things, but I know my, again, that intuition, that I know the potential. I, I've only scratched the surface, to be honest. But of course, there's fear, right? Like we all experience it. And I, I continuously encourage myself to open up and believe that I can get wherever it is that I want to, I want to go, right? So I think it's, yeah, it's not something that we can do again overnight, but it's to continuously have faith and that vision of where we're going. You know, it's so, I know we're coming up here on time, but it's so amazing. And I know in this podcast, we probably could talk for hours about your journey, but we only talked about the successes, right? And there's so many other quote unquote failures. I don't love that word, but different projects that you've tried that might've not worked, maybe just for our audience, because they look at you, they're like, Mimi, you've always been successful. You have all these amazing products, but it's like, you've actually done many things that didn't work out. And I don't think we talk about that enough. So maybe you could highlight a few things that might be interesting for our listeners. I'm a huge advocate for sustainability and for many years I've tried to get into the fashion industry and create something that I personally would want to wear that is sustainable and literally I've tried many different projects one of them was creating these beautiful ballerina flats that were supposed to be made of this biodegradable leather I mean not leather it was like a bioplastic basically but then you know as I did more research I realized well bioplastic is actually really not that good because oftentimes it can't even be recycled so and then you know the shoe was supposed to cost the actual cost of making it was supposed to be I don't know 30 to 50 euros because we were making this most beautiful factory where they were making like Chanel ballerinas and Chloe and all these other high-end designers and then when the shoe was actually ready and we were happy with it like they raised the price to like 100 euros <laughs> so like, that totally changes the you know the whole model of the business so not only the, the the fabric didn't work then it was just yeah that was just one of the projects and I you know we spent a lot of money traveling seeing all these factories working with people probably was a a year in the making and then I got my beautiful ballerinas but then I wasn't happy with the material or the price that I was given so I never launched it um at another time I wanted to do scarves and like I looked at different fabrics like silk silk and cashmere but again something went wrong I wasn't happy with the factory and yeah there were so many different projects like these that like never saw like nobody knows about them because they never saw the light of day because it just it didn't it wasn't up to my standards I think ultimately when you're creating anything you have to love your product or service you have to be your own customer you will you have to want to buy from yourself because if you genuinely love what you're creating, it's going to be so easy to sell. I never feel like I'm selling my products because I'm just telling everybody how much I love what I do and how they have helped me. And that is so genuine and authentic that people instantly want to be part of that. They want to know what it is. They want to get them and use them as well. So I think that is truly the key to success when you're choosing what to do. Ask yourself, what is it that is a problem in your life? What solution are you looking for that doesn't exist yet in the world? It could be, again, a product or service. And then go and create it in the way that feels authentic to you. I think sustainability but genuine sustainability is obviously a huge movement where the whole world has to go now. Um, there's so much plastic in the world. There's so much pollution right now. We can all argue about climate change, but 
we cannot argue about pollution. Pollution is real and it's really uh, horrific at the moment. It's uh, Our planet has never been so dirty and polluted. So I think in any industry that you're thinking to create a product or a service, think how you can incorporate that element of genuine sustainability, not just using it as a marketing tool, but actually doing it. And that is going to create such a powerful tool for you to market your business in a genuine way, because so many people are now resonating with this message and are becoming aware and want to support businesses who do well. And I think as humans, we cannot wait for the governments to take action because they take, they're too slow. There's just too much red tape, too many processes, too many people that need to agree on things. We as businesses have so much power to change the world in a positive way because we create a lot of waste. Um, so if we change even a small thing, like in, let's say in our business at Intelligent Change, we do not use any plastic whatsoever. Um, and again, you would think, oh, well, obviously it's journals. They're made out of paper. By the way, we only use 100% recycled paper only for all of our products. But even in the journals, there is a stitching that binds the journal. And what does that, what is that stitching made out of? Usually it's polyester. So even taking out that stitching, which we did a few years ago, saves tons of plastic. So we replaced it with cotton, which is compostable at the end of the, you know, the life cycle of the journal or the book or the bookmarks across the industry of publishing. They're all polyester. So again, one bookmark, yes, but imagine we have billions of them in all the books and all the journals. And again, this is something we replaced in our business and switched it to cotton and now you have good consciousness. And again, you can talk about it openly and then people want to support you rather than support some other average Joe um, or Jane um, journal company or whatnot, right? So there's lots of people who will copy you, your business or there's other competition you could call. But if you do things in, a, in an authentic way, with in a wholesome way, people will want to support your business or service. So beautiful, Mimi. No, it's so true. And in just going to your point of like solving your own problem, being really genuine and excited about what you're building, people see it. And also business is tough and you need that motivation and a bigger why, or else you're just going to be out of the game. So I think what you mentioned just shows a lot of how you guys have had such sustained success over the year. And I know people are going to leave so inspired. We'll for sure put all the details in the show notes about where they can find your journal, which I love so much. And it's so beautiful. And we gifted always to so many of our friends, but it was such a joy having you, Mimi. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your time, your presence and inviting me on your show. I had a lot of fun. And for anybody listening, I just want to leave you with, um, you know, I guess a small new habit that you can do. You don't need to get a five minute journal. You can just start journaling in any notebook or find a piece of paper, use the back, the front. And, you know, every morning when you wake up, just write down three things that you're grateful for. And at the end of the day, look at your day and ask yourself, what were three good things that happened today? Every day there's something good that happens. Make sure you pay attention because the more you pay attention, the more good you're going to see. So just start with that. And of course, if you do want to get the five minute journal, you can find it on our website at intelligentchange.com. So thank you all for listening. And again, thanks for having me here.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.